All right. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Tough Buckets Podcast. I think last time I said it was either episode 11, 12, or 13, but I looked back and it ended up being episode 14, which makes this one number 15. So we're getting up there in an episode count. Today, I'm joined by my father, Jason Unger. How are you doing, Jason? Doing good, man. Doing good. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, We had baseball start uh, on March 30th, and then you, of course, had the Final Four that weekend, and then you have the uh, National Championship game on Monday, and then uh, on Thursday this week, well, actually today, today's Thursday, uh, the Masters started. So I call it the 10 or the best time of the year, in my opinion, for sports with everything going on between baseball, uh, the national championship and final four, and then, you know, the Masters starting all within 10 days of each other. Uh, so yeah, you can't, can't beat this time of year. The weather's getting warmer. Uh, Ryan, uh, your sister has a birthday coming up uh, tomorrow. And then of course your birthday's coming up here, uh, April 17th. So a lot of stuff going on. We got Easter around the corner on Sunday. So yeah, just a busy time of the year and, and, uh, spring is in the air. Warmer temperatures are on the way. So yeah, it's one of my favorite times of the year for sure. Definitely a busy time of year. And a lot has happened in the basketball world since we last talked, uh, starting off, uh, on things that have happened since we last talked. I think we all agreed that Alabama had a pretty good shot to take home the championship in the men's tournament, and that ended up falling flat on its face, I believe, like the next day after that episode went up. So yeah. That's, yeah. that was pretty funny. I, I think this was also the first tournament that had no number one seeds in the Elite Eight. Is that the stat that I saw? Is that true? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And uh, it was just crazy. I mean, it was a crazy tournament. So many upsets. Uh, you just felt that every game that was played, it, it didn't matter who was playing, um, either team had a chance to win. It was competitive basketball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every single game, like I said, it didn't matter, you know, what the seeds were or, you know, who was playing. It just seemed like every single game, you know, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And I mean, you had Houston, everyone like them to possibly win it. Like you said, Alabama, you know, they were a favorite, the defending champ. Uh, Jayhawks, of course, were a number one seed. And then, of course, you know, Purdue getting knocked out as a number one seed uh, by FDU. So, I mean, it's just crazy, man. And we were talking about it uh, off mic, just about how... NCAA basketball has changed so much. The landscape has changed so much over the past 15 years. I mean, it's just the parody is is insane. I mean, 15 years ago, I went back and looked at the 2008 tournament and I noted the top seeds and their scores in their opening round games. So in 2008, you had North Carolina as a one seed they won over Mount St. Mary's 113 to 74. So you're looking at a 39 point, 39 point win there. Kansas, let alone a 39 point victory, 113 yeah. points in a college basketball game yeah. is a lot, especially back then. Right, right. And then uh, Kansas was also a number one seed. 
They cruised past Portland State 85-61, to so you had a 24-point uh, win in that game. Memphis was a number one seed uh, that year, and they beat Texas Arlington 87-63. to That might have been D. Rose's team. You think that you think that would what have been year did his you say? team to 2008, or would that have been before him? No, because he was a he was a 2012 2013. Okay, okay. so yeah, so that was a couple. That, of years that would have had to him. been a couple of years before him then. And then the uh, other number one seed, UCLA, beat Mississippi Valley State 70 to 29. So I mean, you're looking at a Jeez. yeah, you're you're looking at a 41 point uh, win in that game. So. It's just kind of like how I remembered it back then. I mean, you had your 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 big guns and your top seeds, and I mean they just completely overwhelmed, you know these these sixteen seeds. And I go back, you know, and look at these games this year, talking about Purdue going down to FDU, and uh, I mean you have teams like Princeton winning a couple of games. Um, you, you know, you have UConn, a team that. Very few people, I would imagine, uh, had them winning the tournament going in. Uh, you have Miami. I think they were an eight or nine seed playing in the champ. They were the ninth yeah, seed. Yeah, yeah, the nine seed playing in the championship game. And like you said, the first time in history that you didn't have a one seed playing, you know, in the elite eight games. So it's just parody to me, man. And I tell you what, I watch these games. And I see Princeton out there. Maybe Princeton's not the best uh, example because they, they play a little differently and, and uh, might not have the same caliber of athletes that some of these That's other a good point. some yeah. of these other teams have. So maybe they're not the best example. But if you look at like an FDU, and uh, I, I mean, when you look at them, when they're warming up in the game against Purdue, who were, you know, was a consensus by a lot of people to win the championship. When you watch those two teams warming up, they didn't look that different. I mean, the dudes that were playing, they didn't look like, oh, these guys, you know, I don't even know what conference FDU plays in. I probably should have looked that up. But, you know, here's a here's a mid-major playing what was the best team in the Big Ten. And when you looked at the players, I mean – they were almost interchangeable. It's it, And you just didn't see that back 15 to 20 years ago. I mean, when you looked at these guys before the game, you're like, ooh, man, this is, this is going to be a mismatch because the level of athlete yeah. and the level of talent at these smaller schools just wasn't the same. But, man, anymore, I, there just isn't that much difference between these teams. I mean, Miami, UConn. Uh, you, you know these teams that are playing in in the in the final four, uh, just don't. I mean, they, when they when you look at them compared to the top seeds, your Kansas, your Purdue, uh, you know Houston, they're just they just don't look any different. I mean, they can match player for player athleticism wise, and you just you just didn't see that back in the day so i that was what i was yeah that, you know, that's what i wanted to talk about is just the parody in ncaa basketball right now because uh, fdu i mean it didn't look like when they were winning these games that you know they were surprised i mean it's just like we're just taking care of business like we have 
all season. I mean, I think, what, they lose four games all year? So, I mean, they were used to winning, and they felt like they could play, you know, with anybody. And and they're just there just isn't that much difference in the level of athlete at these mid-majors as, you know, when you compare them to, to the big boys and the blue bloods. I mean, I, I just don't see it anymore like I did, you know, 15 years ago. And that's something I wanted to ask you, too, is is this going to be the trend for the future? Is this going to be the new norm where we see low-seeded teams play great team basketball? And they're pretty well-coached teams. I used to think that the coaching level in NCAA was on a way, way lower scale than the NBA. But I was pretty impressed with some of the offense that I was seeing in this year's tournament, some high-scoring games, some pretty stellar defensive performances we saw throughout the tournament. I just want to know if how much of this parity, as you mentioned, in the tournament is a result of players going opting and playing in top prospects, I should say, opting to play in the G League and play for G League Ignite. And the, uh, the international talents, I mean, the three best players in the NBA right now competing for an MVP are not from the U.S. Right. And I think it's just it's just something that something that we're seeing. There's a lot of kids or I guess kids they are they're older than me playing in these tournaments because they've had a fifth year, some fifth and sixth years with the covid and red shirt and all that different stuff. So these guys have played together for three to five years in on their college basketball teams under the same coaches. I think we're going to see just not as talented teams play better team basketball when they've been together. I mean, these guys have been playing with each other since they were freshmen. Some of these guys are fifth-year seniors. Right. So I don't know. I just wanted to get your opinion on that before we move off college basketball. What do you see the future of the tournament looking like? Yeah, I don't think it's going to change. I mean, I think this is – I think the parity is here to stay because, as you mentioned, you brought up a good point. I mean, a lot of the top players are opting to play in the G League instead of going – to Duke instead of going to North Carolina, instead of going to Kansas. I mean, FDU isn't going to get those kids. Uh, Stephen F. Austin, you know, is, isn't going to get those kids. Princeton, it, it, they're not going to get those kids. Those kids were going to go to your Kentucky, your North Carolina, True. your Kansas, your UCLA's. And when they make the decision to not play college basketball, then that takes you know one of those top players away from a blue blood. So I think that has affected and led to more parity in college basketball. The options that these kids have now coming out of high school, and you know you can play one year in college and you can hop into the NBA. You can opt out and play in the G League. So I think that's changed uh, a little bit of the landscape. And I just think the other thing is, I just think there's more talented players than there ever used to be. I mean, I just 100% right. I just think the level of ba- the, the level of skill among young high school basketball players right now is at a higher level than it's ever been. I mean, these kids playing at the age of 16, 17, 18 years old are light years ahead of where the kids were playing at 16, 17, and 18 years old 15 to 20 years ago. Their uh, court awareness, their just their overall level of basketball skill is light years ahead of where it used to be, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And that means there's a bigger pool of really, really good players that 
can't all go to North Carolina. They can't all go to Kansas. They can't all go, you know, to these blue blood programs. So they're saying, hey, I can go play at FDU and still make it to the Final Four. I can go play at Princeton and win a couple of, you know, tournament games. I can go to Creighton, a Jesuit school here in Omaha, and advance deep into the NCAA tournament. I just think there's way the talent level of the young players in high school today is way, way, it's far exceeds what it did, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, and it's not, this isn't the first year that we're seeing this. Just look at last year's draft class and look how deep it is. I'm pretty sure like 27 of the top 30 picks in this year's draft contributed significantly to their teams. I mean, we're talking about a guy like Walker Kessler who was picked late 20s, I believe, right. early to late 20s. I can't remember, but we're talking about him being a potential defensive player of the year. Right. Ca uh, caliber player right. in the next probably four to five years. Right. Like Jaden Ivey was the fifth pick. He's averaging 16, five and five as a rookie. Yep. I mean, Paulo Bancaro came into the league knowing how to draw fouls and knowing how to score like a, a veteran does. So we're seeing very, very talented draft classes come in. And I think next year, here in 2023, this draft this year is going to probably be, it, it has potential to be the most talented draft class that we've ever seen. I guess that kind of takes me into the, my next topic. You, me, and Sam have talked about this. We, we were talking about this a few weeks ago. If the Mavericks don't, or this is probably a couple weeks ago, actually, when the Mavericks uh, started to lose a lot of games. But we were talking, are they better off just shutting Luka and Kyrie down and tanking for their pick? Because basically they only get to keep their, their pick this year if it's 10 or lower. So they get their pick if it lands on 10 or anything lower than that. Right. And right now they're on pace to get like the 11th pick which is just terrible. So the situation in Dallas is not pretty. Basically, you traded a first-rounder, your best defensive player, and your second best secondary ball handler next to Luka Doncic and Dinwiddie right. to the Nets for Kyrie Irving, who's on his last year of his deal. Mm -hmm. Worst-case scenario is happening right now for the Mavericks where they could miss the play-in tournament completely, not get their first-round pick, and Kyrie walks in the offseason. Right. That means you gave up. One of the best 3 and D players in Dorian Finney-Smith, back up to starting point guard in Dinwiddie, yeah. a first-rounder, which those don't grow on trees. I think the Mavericks are down to their last – I think they may may have one or two picks to play around with after this one they just traded. You're going to do all that just to get, what, 14 games of Kyrie right. before he walks and finds a team that's a real contender? Right. And I don't want to hear all the, the people online that are saying the camp that says – uh, Kyrie's the problem. The the camp that says Kyrie and Luca don't work together, that is just that is such a surface level view of the situation. Right. Obviously, in Dallas, Kyrie and Luca can work. We see when they actually their team plays defense and they can get stops and rebounds. That it looks like it does work, especially on offense. They have one of the best offensive ratings in the league. Right. But defensively is where they're lacking. It just imagine this team if they had a wing defender that could hit hit a spot of three every now and then and had a real rim-protecting big. I'm JaVale McGee is just – he still can give you a decent 12 minutes off the bench, but he just looks washed. I mean, it, he's had a long career, and he's played deep into his career and produced very well, but I think we're seeing the the tail end of his career come to fruition here. Right. And Maxi Kleba just hasn't looked full speed since he came off nope. that lower body injury. 
Christian Wood, I mean, he's never been a defender, but he's given them good offensive minutes, but that's the last thing this team needs. Right. So I just think it's very, very premature to say Kyrie and Luka don't work. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I mean, we just saw a great game for them against the Kings. Kyrie had 19 in the fourth quarter. Yeah. He was hitting shots that I could not believe he was taking, let alone making. Right. I mean, you saw that where he, he – uh, who was guarding him? Uh, now I can't think of – Davion Mitchell Davey, was guarding yeah, him. Yeah. And Kyrie drove, shut him off left, shut him off right. Kyrie picks up his dribble, pivots like four or five times, spins, hits a nothing-but-net fadeaway jumper from mid-range. And it was just at that point I was like, yeah – Mavericks are winning this game, and that was a pretty big win for them well, against huge. the number two yeah. seed. I mean, it was huge. Yeah, it's a huge win. But get this: since Kyrie got there, and this is only counting the fourth quarters and overtimes that Kyrie and Luca have played together, healthy at the same time, Kyrie has taken 103 shots in fourth quarters and overtimes to Luca's 50. Right now, I'm not sure what to make of that, but that is a problem. I do think Kyrie is the better fourth quarter scorer as we've seen throughout his career in comparison to Luka. Luka should be shooting more in these situations to take some pressure off of Kyrie because you saw some of the buckets Kyrie had to get last night. They were not easy. No. And I think they could benefit from, you know, Luka's shooting more in the fourth quarter. Well, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that we need to address here. And the first thing is just the utter ridiculousness, if that's a word, of the world is coming to an end by the Dallas Mavericks fans because they're not contending for a championship after getting Kyrie and having him for what a month i mean let's let, again we we've talked about this before on this podcast the instant the need for instant gratification today and not showing some patience is is really crazy. I mean, it's it's literally out of control. I mean, these fans expect Kyrie <laughs> to join the team, and all of a sudden we're going to go from a middle-of-the-road team that's on the outside of the playoffs looking in to immediately becoming a championship contender. And like you said, there are so many things that go into it outside of the Kyrie and Luka dynamic. You have an entire rest of the team that lost three starters that they were used to playing with for the first two-thirds of the season, essentially. And now you bring in Kyrie, a dynamic guy, a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. So this rest of the team that you're putting around Luka and Kyrie have to learn an entirely new system when it comes to offense. And we're not even talking about defense. I mean, this team is a, is a really bad defensive team. But, I mean, it's, it's going to take, like we've said many, many times, more than a month to get a team playing at a playoff level let alone a championship level. So, and, and, and I believe that, I don't believe this team has all the pieces they need. I mean, I, I agree with you. They, they need someone who can score the ball down low. Somebody who they can throw the ball into, run some, run some screens, run some guys off of screens, get an adequate passing big man who's a threat to score inside so that you're not spreading it all around the perimeter and and play a little bit inside out 
right now they just don't have yeah. that capability. I mean, they're just they're, they're running ISOs or doing a lot of high screen rolls, but nobody is having to collapse the middle of the defense to try and stop someone who's a capable scorer in the paint. So they can spread out all around the perimeter, run guys off the three-point line, and that I mean, take your chances. And like you said, Kyrie has to hit these unbelievable shots. I mean, they're just insane. So it's fun to watch, but functionally, that's not going <laughs> to hold up for your team's success. No, it's just not. It's it's not sustainable. So this is a team to me. I mean, they're tied right now with the Thunder for the tenth spot. Yeah, so that you know they're playing for what's going to be the final play-in spot. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I keep going through all these scenarios. I mean, part of me thinks, yeah, I mean, they need to play to win, which I think they will, because if they can get in the playoffs and Luka or Kyrie goes on this insane run, who knows who they could beat? You know, I mean, they could, they could win a playoff series or two. Just Yeah, and who knows who's going to be healthy either. Mm-hmm. There could be a team like... Any of these teams could fall to injury in the West, and they would be completely neutralized in the playoffs. And that's something where right. that's what you look at as a playing team is where can I take advantage of these these kind of misfortunes for other teams, and who do I want to see in the in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, look, look at look at the teams who are in the top six right now in the West. You got the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray has a uh, has a history of injuries. Michael Porter Jr. has a history of injuries. The Memphis Grizzlies, you got the whole thing with Ja. He's not really into the flow of playing 38 minutes a game right now because of his off-the-court issues. You've got the Kings. And Steven Adams still isn't healthy. Steven Adams is out, exactly. That I, I forgot about him. He hasn't played for so long. The Kings, I would say right now, as far as health-wise goes, probably are sitting uh, in the best spot in the West right now because I don't think they're dealing with any major injuries i think all their dudes are pretty healthy right now then you look at the suns kd's working his way back from injury d book has always had that hamstring issue hanging over his head chris paul's 38 years old i mean anything could happen with that group you got the clippers who are already down paul george uh kai uh uh, uh Kawhi's, uh injury history the Golden State Warriors. Although Kawhi has looked very, very good. He does. Lately. He 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 does. I mean, I I shouldn't even bring that up right now because he really does look like he's back to being the old Kawhi. And then you got the Warriors. I mean, who hasn't missed games for them this year? I mean, I think everybody's down. Wiggins. I think Wiggins played like twenty six or seven games for them this right. year. Right. Uh, Steph was out for a while. I think Clay's you know, still dealing with some things, you know, recurring injuries from the past. I mean, uh, Draymond, honestly, has probably been the healthiest guy all year long for the Warriors. I don't, I don't think, po- yeah. I don't think Poole's missed too many games, but I mean, like you said, these teams are just one guy going down from it just being completely wide open in the West. And it's a complete different story in the Eastern Conference. I'm looking at the standings now. If New York wins out for the rest of the season, we could see five teams in the East with 50 or more wins, which I don't know if I've ever seen since I've been alive. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember that happening. I, I, I do. There's usually three, and occasionally you'll get a fourth team, but 
I and Cleveland just clinched with 50 wins. Right, right. And the Knicks, like you said, they can they can get to 50 wins if they win out. So oh, actually, I I spoke too soon. They only have two. They games only have left, two left. It looks okay, like. okay. So yeah, they they can only they can only get to 49, but but pretty close. Right, pretty close. And Sam's Heat uh, are on the outside looking in right now. They were battling uh, with the Nets for that sixth spot for a long time, but. It's not looking too good for the Heat right now. They're uh, 42 and 37, and the Nets are 44 and 36. So a game and a half, and I think the Heat have three games left, and the Nets have two. So it's going to be tough for the Heat to get out of that seven spot and avoid the play-in. And I, I don't. If Sam was here, he would know. Uh, who would have home court advantage or uh, if they, the tiebreaker, I should say, right. if they do right. end up with the same record. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Nets have it, but I could com- I could be completely off with that. I would assume the Nets have it because they played half the year with Kyrie right. and, and KD, right. but I'm, I'm not sure on that one. And the Nets have two, ga- the Nets have two games left, uh, both at home against Orlando and Philadelphia. And the Heat have three games remaining. They're at Philly tonight, and then they play at Washington, and then they finish at home against Orlando. So, uh, well, that could be big for Philly in that last game of the year. I don't see Embiid or Harden suiting up because if they they just need one more game to clinch right. the three seed, I believe. Right. So, I if they don't need that game, there's no reason to play. Embiid, Harden, or even Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, for that matter. Right. We should uh, we should touch on that Boston Philly game from a couple nights ago. I mean, that was yeah, that was insane. For sure. I think it was. Was it Monday? No, Tuesday night. Yeah, that sounds right. One hundred five, one hundred five, one hundred three. Uh, Philly beat Boston, uh, fifty-two for Embiid. And I think he was 20, 20 for 25 from the field. I mean... An absolute MVP performance, if you ask me. 52, 13, and 6. Yeah, men missed five shots. And the entire and a game. huge game for, for Philly. Huge game for Philly to, to cement their, their spot as a, a home court advantage team in the playoffs. I guess that was already solidified, right, but, but as the three seed. Yeah. And, and against against the, arguably the best team in their conference. Right, right. That, that, that was the important thing, I think, for Philadelphia was to say, you know what? We just showed tonight that we can, that we can play with, with the best team in the Eastern Conference. And honestly, other than Embiid and P.J. Tucker – uh, hit some big shots down the stretch. Let's not. Oh yeah, we'll get to let, that. Let's not sell him short. But dude, Maxi and Tobias Harris had five points each in that game. I mean, that yeah. that's not that is not good enough. And Philadelphia's bench. I mean, wow, they 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 were awful. I mean, just DeAnthony Melton didn't score in twenty minutes. Right, right. And Niang, I think Niang maybe had four points in 20 minutes. It's just like they are... He had zero points. Zero. Okay, he had zero points. And it's just like, I mean, that's not going to be good enough. And and Maxi and Tobias Harris, I mean, you have got to get more out of them if you're going to win a playoff series, especially against, you know, Boston or... Ten combined points in 75 combined minutes. Yeah, for those two. Wow. 
crazy. And like you said, Mel- but, Melton didn't score. Niang didn't score. I mean, P.J. Tucker, I mean, I was railing on that dude in our group text saying, why? <laughs> we all were. Why is this guy in the game? He at, at one point, he played 22 minutes, took two shots, had two points, and one rebound in 22 minutes. And then as I'm just ripping this dude... He uh, he just drills huge shots, and I mean, probably was the different. Probably was the reason they won that game. I mean, Embiid had 52 points, but if Tucker wouldn't have hit those shots late in the game, I, it could have went either way. Really, three three for three on huge corner threes. Yeah, all wide open too. Right. It was a relatively low scoring game for both teams the entire game. But something odd that I noticed about the game was. I don't know what it was. I, I knew it was a low-scoring game, and it was a lot of defense being played, but I didn't mind it. I think it was a fun game to watch. Oh, I watched the whole game, and I thought it was it was a great game, and it only ended up being 101 to 103. Right. And I think both teams combined for 40 points in the third quarter. Both teams did. Right. But Embiid scored 19 of them. <laughs> or was it 19? I think he had 19. I think it was, he had 19 in the third. Yeah. Yeah, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And – he was just pulling up for mid-range, getting to every spot he wanted to. And sometimes you can't – the only way to – you try to stop him from getting to his spot, you just bounce off him and foul him, and he still makes the mid-range jumper. Right. And it's at that point where this guy is just unstoppable. He's going to score 52 points, and he's going to do it in every single different way possible. Yeah. And you just have to watch. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. One thing that I did see, uh, it was in a Ringer article that I was reading. I think Sam might have sent it to me. But when Embiid is double teamed in the post, Philly averages 110 points per 100 possessions. And when he passes out of a double team, that leads to 128 points per 100 wow. possessions. Wow. One of those numbers is, is the one you want to have for your offense. Yeah. Well, and it's not just it's not just assists out of the double team. It's just the the pass out of yeah. the double team, move the ball around the perimeter, open three to sometimes it's PJ Tucker, yeah. sometimes it's Niang, it's just it'll open shots help the team's offense a lot because when Embiid you saw him score 50 points he had to score those points but if he wasn't if he was passing out of that the other guys would have more points like Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey wouldn't have had five points because they would have had a few easier shots and I think that's something that we have to see Joel Embiid evolve into as a more of a passing threat out of the post yeah and I don't remember uh it's been two days ago and my mind, uh, you know, isn't as sharp as what it used to be. But you talked about passing out of the double team. I, I, if I remember right, at least two, if not all three of those threes that Tucker hit were passes out of double teams. Or was maybe the second pass out of a pass yeah. out of a double team. And I mean, dude, those are wide open set shot pre-game warm-up jumpers i mean there's no one in the zip code i mean he is wide open and that's because and we're talking about pj tucker shooting those just imagine right. a, a better three-point shooter is getting those looks too i'm feeling even better about it right right and that's what that's what Embiid is able to do when he is that effective down there you are going to get a ton of open shots and that's what that's what Philly got down the stretch, and, and Tucker made them, and, and that's the reason why they won. Um, but a couple of things. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a couple of things on Boston that stood out to me. They took 45 threes, dude. 45 threes. That's all Joe Missoula. He, he says we got to get them up. Yeah, got to get up the threes. And 
that's a perfect example of sometimes, you know, you're going to win by the three. And I, I don't remember what they shot. I think they may have made 14 or 15. I don't have the stats in front of me, but they shot 45 threes. Wow. I mean, that that's crazy. They shot, yeah, 15 threes. Yeah, crazy. And then the other... And the, to, Philly's, to Philly's 29. Yeah, yeah, 45 to 29. And the other thing that stood out uh, to me was Boston's backcourt. And, uh, and, and you and I are both huge Derek White fans. I mean, he does not get, I mean, he is so far. He had a pretty good game. He's, yeah, he had a pretty good game. He was so, he is so far down the list when it comes to dudes who get praise, uh, for the Celtics. I mean, you probably have five guys ahead of him before anyone even mentions his name, but I'm telling you what. He's been better than Malcolm Brogdon, arguably. Oh yeah. This year. Yeah. Which is crazy to think. No doubt about it. I mean, he hits big shots. He hits tough shots. He can finish around the basket. And defensively, <laughs> I mean, when you have Marcus Smart and and uh, Derek White in the game at the same time, it's going to be a miserable time for your guards. I mean, Good luck. Yeah, it, you, it's going to be a miserable night. And Tyrese Maxey <laughs> was in the middle of it because he had, he, had five, <laughs> he, had, he had five freaking points because he was getting chased around by one of those two dudes all night long. So... That's scary, man. I, I don't know. The way they play defense, those two guards, uh, yeah, I don't know. I might have to I might have to put Boston, you know, uh, as one as my favorite in the East. I mean, if they can play defense like that with the shot makers they have on offense, ah man, it, they're going to be tough to beat in the playoffs. And did you notice how many different bodies they threw at Embiid throughout the game? Everybody. I saw Al Horford guarding him yep. for minutes. I saw Grant, Grant Williams, Williams on him. I saw Luke Cornett. <laughs> Luke Cornett got 16 minutes against him. Mike Muscala tried it. They even tried Blake Griffin. They even threw Sam Hauser in there for three minutes. Right, right. <laughs> they were just seeing, like, can anyone stay in front of this guy? <laughs> I, no, the answer is no. I, the answer is always no with Embiid. Yeah, it, it is. It is always no. And... I mean, yeah, like you said, I'm surprised they didn't uh, they didn't try and match up match up uh, Marcus Smart on him. I mean, why why not throw throw, yeah. throw him down there? Just I mean, I know because it's harder because he can poke the ball away. He's smaller and stronger right. than some of those guys we mentioned. Right, and he's he's smart. I mean, he knows how to play. You know, I, I, let's not let's and let's not forget this very very key point. And that's the point. The point is, is Rob Williams didn't play. Yeah, you know, another name we're missing is Jalen Brown, too. Right, right. Yeah, we have to keep we have to keep those two things in mind that Rob Williams. I I mean, Embiid's going to get his points, but I have a feeling if uh, Rob Williams is down there. It's going to be a little bit more. It's got to be a little bit more yeah. di- difficult for when him. the double team is coming from Rob Williams. It's a lot different than the double team coming from Mike Muscala and, or and, Sam Hauser and, and Blake and Yeah, and Blake Griffin, yeah. who actually he gave them pretty. Yeah. He's been giving them decent defensive minutes. He's he's a black hole on offense, but he can guard. He can still play yeah. defense. Yeah, he he can. So I mean, we have to remember that Boston was was without two huge playoff pieces that they're you know they're going to rely on once yeah. once we get going here in the playoffs. So we got to make sure make it's sure almost we like, point that out. 
it's almost like we don't even give Boston a, a pass for being injured. I think I mentioned last episode, they just never have their full team together. Right. But they're so deep where it's like they still don't really have any excuses because they're like eighth and ninth best player is playing six man for most teams in their conference right now. Yeah, I was just looking up to see uh, what what the status was for uh, Robert Williams. I mean, what is he – are they just kind of taking – taking their time with him and not stretching him out too much or does he have he's not listed on their injury list so i i'm not sure what yeah the, he might he might just have been out with injury management because i don't think he's played consistently this year pretty much at all right. i think they've been very because i mean the injuries he was dealing with last year i mean he had surgery and came back and re-injured it i mean that's pretty serious stuff yeah. that you don't want to just throw a player back into consistently playing every single night. Right. So I don't know. I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be ready for the playoffs as well as Jalen Brown will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll, I think they'll be locked in once once playoff time rolls around. The last thing I wanted to get out of here discussing, I wanted to get your opinion on this, on just the MVP race. I think we can agree that it's between Jokic and Embiid, even though Giannis has very – I mean, if you voted for Giannis, I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. Right now, it's looking like it's Embiid versus Jokic. And Embiid, I think after this performance against the Celtics, has definitely jumped to number one in the MVP odds. I mean, betting-wise, he he has. That's right. just a fact. Right. Just based on his level of play, his aggression, his his just how do you stop this guy on offense? I mean, we just saw that one of the best teams, best defensive teams in basketball right now, just get obliterated by him. Fifty-two points in thirty-nine minutes. I think the difference between Embiid and Jokic, and this is kind of an obvious argument, is going to come down to the defense. Right. And people are going to be like, well, Jokic affects the game differently, and Embiid being good at defense doesn't actually outweigh the the pure efficiency that Jokic gives on offense, which I have to say that's not true. No. Because if you take both of these guys and you make them below average defenders and put them on their teams, whose team is taking more of a hit? Right, Because one team already arguably has a below-average defender at center. And if Embiid was a below-average defender, and he hasn't even played that, that good this year on defense because he's carrying such a load on offense, right. but in the playoffs we're going to see his true defensive form. Think about how different this Philadelphia team would be if Embiid wasn't just a monster on defense in the paint. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> Tuesday night's game, the way he carried Philly to a win over Boston with 52 points, that's it. That's it. Drop the mic. The MVP race is over. Embiid is your guy. To me, that game, if there was any doubt, if anyone had any clouds in their mind on who the MVP is in the NBA this season, Embiid ended it with his performance against Boston. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. And I was just looking through the Nuggets injuries right now. Their entire starting five are out with injuries. Murray has a thumb. Jokic has a calf. Uh, KCP is dealing. Uh, what's he got? Oh, he's got COVID. Aaron Gordon's day-to-day. He's got a shoulder inflammation. Yeah. And Michael, but they've, and Michael but they've Por- pretty much and Michael the Por- And my, <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. is dealing with left heel injury management. So, <laughs> so their entire starting lineup is listed on the injury report right now. So, 
you know yeah, what? Yeah, but I, I think I, I think it's just because they're they're getting some rest. Yeah, I think all those guys honestly are probably done for the regular season. I mean, I, you might see one of them uh, play a few minutes here and there, but w- with what they have locked up and with everything on the line in the playoffs, they're going to make sure these guys are as healthy as they possibly can be for the playoffs. And if Jokic doesn't play anymore in the regular season, that's going to hurt him even more in the MVP race because uh, him just not being out there. I mean, just not being visible and not... Yeah, but it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to say like, oh, this player has clinched the number... He led his team to a number one seed and he's not playing at the end of the year where this player is actually still fighting for better seeding in his conference because his team wasn't as good. Right, right. So it's, it's it's a weird kind of equilibrium you kind of have to take into consideration yeah and that leads us perfectly into our next episode that we do probably next week when sam's able to join us we're gonna we're gonna break down uh uh the um uh rest and the management and whatever they whatever they call it load management these days we're gonna talk about it because we're gonna break down the cba but we were gonna do that tonight but we thought we'd wait until the smartest guy of the crew uh, was able to talk, you know, some of the labor stuff, Definitely. labor stuff with us because he's able to explain it and break it down. I know a lot better, better than I can. But one of those talking points is going to be, you know, they changed the awards, the all NBA and the MVP. You got to play a minimum of 65 games to qualify. So how much is that going to change things next year? How are teams going to manage injuries having these guys knowing that they have to play a certain amount of games to qualify for these awards. So we're going to break all that down in our next episode. That's going to be really good. And even a mid-season tournament that we got to talk about next week, which is going to be a lot of fun. Yep, so make sure you keep an eye out for the next episode. We're going to break all that down, and by that time I think we'll have uh, the playoff picture laid out in front of us to discuss. So that'll be an exciting episode. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was good. uh, it was good joining you tonight, brother, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again when we're getting ready to uh, tip it up, the postseason. Yep, sounds good. I hope you guys enjoyed. Leave a rating if you did. And, uh, oh, I forgot to mention, there's some new music at the beginning of this one. Shout out to Oscar. He always comes through. Oh, yeah, nice. But anyways, hope you guys enjoyed. Have a great weekend.